PJ, hi. Uh, pleased to meet you. Hello, Jeff. Yeah, it's great to chat to you. Hey. Thanks um, for the invite. Yeah. You're in South Africa? Yes, I am. Yeah, currently. Uh, enjoying a, a nice summer day. It's a good 30 degrees Celsius outside. <laughs> uh, that sounds really nice. I mean, actually, today we've got the sun out, which is kind of a blessing. We, we kind of treasure these moments. So, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quite good. Um, I was just looking at your website. Um, first of all, you're, you're um, Director of Technical Diving at RAID South Africa? Yeah, for RAID South Africa. Um, I do some advisory work for Red International, and uh, I'm a tech examiner. Um, so I'm involved with uh, Red Southern Africa as well as uh, Red International. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I was, as I say, I was looking at your your website and and lovely image of the shark, um, and the words "There's an explorer inside of you, bursting to come out and discover new things." I mean, that's a great strap, right? That's fantastic. Does that draw many people in? Yeah, well, I think, you know, as humans, inherently, we all have some kind of explorer in us and some people more than others, but certainly we all want to discover more and whether it's about ourselves or about other people or about new things or new places. Um, and I would like to encourage to explore in the underwater realm, um, uh, we have so much still to see underwater. So whether you're a beginner diver or someone with decades of experience, there's something new out there for everybody. Yeah. You just broke up a little bit there, but we got the gist of what you were saying. So, that, so that's kind of, that's fine. What, what kind of people generally actually come and contact you? Uh, usually it's certified divers who are looking at expanding their horizons, trying something new, uh, or just gaining some more experience, maybe trying side mount diving, or maybe they're interested in getting into technical diving um, at the 40 meter range, extending the dive time, um, guys that are interested in rebreathers. So, um, so certainly that from a training perspective, um, um, mostly dealing with divers that are certified and uh, really just want to go somewhere new, try something different. Yeah. Uh, so what exactly is technical diving? Well, <laughs> good question. But in a nutshell, it's really just um, going beyond what you've been taught as an open water diver. Um, there is nothing wrong with going beyond the decompression limits or going um, to a deeper depth if you trained. Um, you know, as technical divers, we're still recreational divers. We're still out there to have a good time. Uh, but we are just going beyond what the, the typical entry-level diver is told are the limits. Um, obviously, dealing with... Um, overhead environments, whether they are a cave overhead environment or dealing with the overhead environment, which is the glass ceiling of decompression. Um, technical diving is about being able to be self-reliant uh, in any diving environment 
um, that has some sort of over, overhead uh, limitation. So what do, you, what do you enjoy about technical diving? What aspect of it actually draws you into it? Um, uh, yeah, it's the explorer bit. You know, it's going somewhere where possibly no one's been before or if someone has been there, um, maybe only a handful of people have been there. Uh, my, my personal passion, if I could choose uh, one type of diving to do every single day, it would definitely be cave diving. Uh, that's my own personal passion. Um, but uh, I guess I'm drawn to just the exploring aspects. Um, yeah, trying to find something that, that hasn't been seen before is, is probably deeply rooted within me. So, so within, the, within the cave diving, um, are you exploring at the moment, are you exploring um, passageways, cave systems that, that have not been looked into before? There, there are very few caves in South Africa, unfortunately. Uh, we do have some caves which are restricted. Uh, we are trying our utmost to, to gain access to them. Uh, but far uh, further afield uh, within Africa, uh, there are some caves that we are uh, looking at mapping. No, we know for certain that people haven't been in there before. We don't know how deep they are. Sometimes we have access to a couple of pools. Um, there may or may not be tunnels there, or certainly if there are, there may be short tunnels. Um, and if it weren't for COVID, you know, like everyone is unfortunately in this situation, um, we would have had a good section of, of cave uh, in Tanzania mapped out right now. Uh, but Unfortunately, it's going to have to wait until travel restrictions are lifted and it's, it's easier for us to assemble the team and get everyone together to, to get out there. Yeah, for sure. COVID is just making life so difficult right now. Oh, uh, yeah. For, and if it's not for the actual COVID itself, you know, COVID fatigue is a, is a very real thing. Just the fact that we have to talk about it all the time, uh, you know, is... Uh, is quite stressful in itself. Yeah. With, with exploring cave systems and things, uh, do you actually do the research yourself, you know, in, in finding where the possibilities are? Or are you um, a part of a team? It's something that is very difficult to do by yourself. There's um, so many aspects. And I think from a geo geological point of view, we have to get some sort of scientists involved because there's no point, you know, getting a, assembling a team together and all traipsing off into um, the jungle in, in Africa and, and there's nothing there. Um, so we do rely on feedback from, uh, from scientists and, and geophysicists and geologists um, and, and also safety from a safety point of view. We need to know that the ground, as soon as we go in the water, isn't going to just, collapse on top of us. Um, there, there definitely has to be um, a lot more involved than just a diver going underwater and, and seeing how far they can, they can swim through some wet rocks. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the whole, the, the aim has to be scientific. It's as much as from a diver's perspective, I'd like to see something brand new and, and be somewhere someone hasn't been before. 
but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects of exploration that you that you need to engage with. Um, and and some of the some of the caves um, need uh, repelling. You know, you need to get down there, um, and that's also not always easy. You need to have some sort of mountaineering experience, um, which not everybody has. Um, so it's you know you rely on some of those guys to to help um, just getting set up and getting down there. How are most of these caves formed? I mean, how far away from you? Uh, or are you from the sea, for example? Uh, well, I am in Johannesburg. I'm 600 kilometers from the sea. Um, but the, the caves that we're finding um, up in sort of East Africa um, are definitely formed by seawater. I mean, there's, there are connections between freshwater and seawater there. Um, and everything is still very new. Um, you know, as I say, we should have had a team up there in uh, December um, of last year, and obviously that didn't happen. So we're holding thumbs that in December this year we'll have more answers and and uh, see what's what we can find. Oh well, good luck. At, with at that. the moment, we're yeah. At the moment, we're relying on locals and uh, you know the stories that they tell, and uh, yeah. So it's it's all. Uh, Exciting, something to, to look forward to, if nothing else. <laughs> well, yeah, let's hope there are other things as well. But that, that's, yeah, that, yeah, no, that sounds nice. It, and I believe you're going to be contributing to Scubaverse um, in, yeah. in a bit more of a major way. Uh, yeah, I've um, started sub uh, submitting a, a couple of articles and um, I think showcasing some of what South Africa has to offer the, the average diver, as well as the advanced diver, the technical diver. Um, the, the, there's so many things that people hear about, which are sort of widely um, known. For example, Eliwal Shoal is, uh, is something I talk about, but around Eliwal Shoal, there's so much more to explore. There's so many other dive sites in that area that, that don't get the recognition that they deserve. Um, I'll be doing some um, some diving um, on our sort of what the, we call the wild coast um, later this year, and we're looking at some new wrecks. There's some possibility for some new wrecks that have, have to be the uh, that are going to be discovered. Well, are discovered, and we need to find out what's down there. And uh, you know, those potentially could come other dive, become other dive sites that. Uh, tourists could come and dive and and even our local community if there's a new wreck that hasn't been dived before then um, it gives them another dive site that they can enjoy um, so yeah so i'll be contributing about some of those experiences and some of those finds um, as we go along fantastic i look forward to seeing that so will that be article or video or both uh, well so far it's only article but if i okay. if i need to do video then uh then yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah, it's always nice. It it yeah it makes it a little bit more real somehow. Yeah, well, one of the things that about was photography, and when I started doing a lot more technical training, I didn't get the opportunity to spend a lot of time taking photographs underwater um, or, or video. And um, it was in fact two weeks ago that I 
I dusted the cobwebs off my big camera system and uh, it hasn't been underwater in a couple of years and, and I've started playing around with that. And um, my goal for this year was to start doing some photogrammetry work on our reefs and wrecks uh, in South Africa so that, you know, we can see, um, you know, we can ex show people in 3D what um, some of our diving experiences are like, uh, much like I see in, in Europe. That photogrammetry, well, there's various softwares out there, but yeah. to me, that is just so clever. And the results it's, are fantastic. It's really clever. I mean, sometimes Whoa. it seems beyond me. I mean, so it's, it's something that's always interested me, but um, I've been really nervous to, to get going. And, and I decided, well, you know what, actually, I, unless you make, take that first step and, uh, and try something, you don't know whether you can do it or not or whether you have the capabilities to, to get it done. So, um, so I'm going to give it a go and see where it takes me. Yeah, very exciting. I, I, I haven't done it underwater, but I, I just tried it here in the kitchen, around the kitchen table yeah. and stuff. And, uh, and then COVID came. Uh, but wow, it's, it's just, I can't wait to try it for real, as it were. Oh, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal what you can do with the, with the technology and, and with the software some of the projects I'm involved in where they are using it, you know, from a scientific point of view uh, and you can get onto a project and you can walk around a site um, doing a, a dry briefing and, and you can get an idea of exactly what needs to be done or, or where you need to be positioned or, you know, um, an artifact that may need to be lifted to the surface. So you can stand over it and get a, a clear understanding of what it is before you even get underwater. Uh, it really is incredible. Yeah, nice, nice. The um, the the wrecks that that uh, you may be looking at next are they historic or are they more modern wrecks? It, it seems that they are more historic. Um, there is one particular wreck that we think was sunk around the forties, so um, around nineteen forty, maybe nineteen thirty five, uh, in that period uh, but some of the other wrecks that we're looking at in South Africa seem to be some of the artifacts that have been brought to the surface seem to be a bit older um, upwards of 100 years so uh, until we get down there we don't really know all we know is that there's evidence um, that something's there but but yeah until you have uh, physical eyes on it or, or some sort of video unfortunately we don't have the you know the, the monetary uh, capabilities to go and send down um, sonars and, and, you know, get side scans and that, but we just have to get down there and, and have a look with our own eyes and a couple of cameras and uh, bimble around at the bottom of the ocean and see what, uh, what comes up. So I, I'm guessing from what you're saying, these are quite deep. You're going to need um, rebreathers and, and such like. Yeah, the the wrecks that we're looking at are between fifty to eighty meters, um, so uh, definitely really the dives. Uh, I mean, you you would need the flexibility of really the just in terms of gas uh, gas supply, and uh, you know you need to prepare for a prepare for an eighty meter dive. Maybe the water's only sixty five or seventy meters, but at least if we're at eighty meters, we uh, have the abilities it's 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 a bit of a different uh setup to what we have here 
uh, mostly in the UK is uh, a lot of our wrecks and historic wrecks particularly are quite shallow. Uh, yeah. So they're well within the range of scuba. But one of the issues we have, of course, is the shifting sands. So a wreck could be totally hidden for 10, 20, 30 years. And then just one day, sand's gone yeah. and there is a wreck and all the cannon and all the stuff that goes with it. And within two days, it's gone again. <laughs> you know? It's frustrating. You tell yeah. all your mates about this amazing wreck that you found and then it's, it's gone and they think that you're uh, <laughs> not being yeah. quite honest. Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely true. And um, I mean, one of the, oh, frozen up again. Oh, you're back again, I think. Yes, you are. Good. Well, one of the yeah. ways of finding uh, about wrecks occasionally is the fact, historically, you can look back and learn that people in local villages have been picking up artifacts or gold coins or whatever after storms. And it's yeah. only then that you think, ah, okay, so where's that wreck gone? And you go and look and it's not there. And then somebody says one day, we saw that wreck, all the sand had gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I think, you know, often when we're looking for wrecks, we rely on the fishermen. Uh, it's amazing what the fishermen know about what's out there that hasn't really been communicated to, to the diving industry. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes the, the fishermen give you marks and sometimes it's just a reef, but still it's a reef that's never been dived before. Um, or oh, that, that blimp that they see on the, on the fish finder is actually um, a piece of old metal um, and uh, that's uh, waiting to be discovered. <laughs> yes, I, I can't count the times I've dived on a bit of old metal. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all it is. With, with technical diving, uh, are there any new technical advancements, innovations that, that may be coming up in the future? Well, I, I think that fundamentally... Um, the principles have remained the same. There have been, um, I think from a safety point of view and an education point of view, there's been some development um, with the view of making technical diving safer and more accessible to people. Uh, certainly what I have seen in recent times is the development in rebreathers seems to have um, accelerated. There seems to be a lot more focus on rebreather lately than there than there ever has been before. Uh, I'm certainly seeing a lot more rebreather dives on boats. Uh, last week, I did a presentation um, at a dive school that just said, look, we're seeing rebreather divers more often, and if something had to go wrong, how do we deal with it? Um, so it, it was the first uh, workshop that I've, that I've done of kind of of that nature, uh, but it was a really interesting exercise because it exposed their dive team, their, their dive masters and their instructors um, to re the diving and it gave them an understanding of if something had to go wrong with one of their divers while they're leading a dive, how do I get that guy to the surface? What do I look out for if something is going wrong with a guy? How do I know um, that this re the dive is having a problem? And it was an eye-opener for them and certainly now the first of many uh, 
presentations of the type that I'm going to do because as soon as uh, word got out that I'd done that presentation, I'd received numerous requests from other dive schools to say, listen, please come and do the same thing for us because we're also finding if not some of their own divers, uh, own divers are getting into Ruby the diving, but they are, uh, when they're traveling, they are seeing divers on Ruby. Uh, and, and Ruby the safety is, or diver safety in general is, is important. And if you don't know how to rescue somebody on a rebreather, you know, their chances of survival are just diminished. Yeah. If you do see, I, I, I don't use rebreathers myself, and, but um, I'm aware of a lot of brands appearing on the marketplace of what I would call consumer uh, rebreathers yeah. rather than more technical. Um, they're always out that uh, advertised as being perfectly safe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, ass I assume they are. One doesn't hear, uh, at least I don't, of many accidents or deaths over the recent years. Uh, you know, without knowing this, this, the stats officially, from just a sentiment point of view uh, and what's out there, what I've heard um, from my experience, there has been a decline, uh, but one death is too many. So whatever we can do to um, avoid the risk of that one person I do feel that uh, Ruby, the manufacturers have come a long way and I do feel like the, the actual hardware is a lot more reliable than it used to be. Um, people are doing things on rebreathers uh, that we didn't think were possible 20 years ago. And, um, and the fact that there are so many more rebreather divers in the water um, and the fact that there are not as many rebreather incidents as you think um, means that somewhere along the line we've got to be doing something right um, and it's got to be coming safer. You know, even if if one person was dying a year and that number hasn't changed, but the fact remains that there are more Ruby the divers now than there were 10 years ago. Um, so just uh, in numbers, you know, just simple maths, um, you have to believe that it's getting safer. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it is. What well, one used to, oh, I don't know, quite felt, it felt regular that one would hear about a rebreather death. But uh, as I say, I haven't heard of one now for a long time. Do you get many uh, people joining your courses that suddenly decide this isn't for them uh, and just say, yeah, thanks anyway? Definitely. You know, it's an important part of, of my job uh, as an instructor to counsel and to mentor uh, divers that come along my way because if someone is not ready then it needs to be an open discussion and rather than them getting themselves in a position where they uh, you know end up hurting themselves I would prefer that we have that that hard discussion one day and say right are you really ready for this uh, and to be quite honest most of the time it comes from them um, I think they get to a point where they say 
actually, I'm not ready. Let me either come and go away and, and do some work and come back and we can revisit the certification uh, or they just turn around and say, it's actually not for me. Uh, and it's best for everyone when that happens because, yeah, again, safety is, is number one priority. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Was this always something you wanted to do uh, uh, from an early stage in life or, or did it suddenly come on you? I mean, how did, how did you get into all this? Yeah, it's funny. I've always been a teacher in some way. Uh, I even remember when I was at school doing things like teaching guitar. You know, I may not have been the best guitarist, but but I knew enough to give a, a beginner guy, you know, some guidance and 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 teach them how to get going. Um, and, and as soon as I started diving, I started as a commercial diver and progressed into diving instruction, but it seems to always draw me in, you know, anything where there's instruction involved or education involved. Um, I just, I just really enjoy it. I enjoy seeing other people develop. Uh, I enjoy seeing them overcome fears. You know, I, I get to see that a lot with, with technical training, especially with cave where people are nervous and uh, apprehensive in the beginning. And then you see how they develop over the uh, period of the course and, the, and they leave at the end of the course and they're just such better divers and, uh, and more confident, you know, they, it builds confidence in their just general everyday life. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know if I think that I was told I couldn't dive anymore, they would, I'd end up being involved in another industry and I can guarantee that I would end up teaching in that industry. It's just the natural way that I'm wired. I think. <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of nice it's, uh, do, you, do you travel at all to teach or, or do you stay in your base yeah um, you know I, I'm not quite sure whether my wife enjoys it or not but, but I do spend probably half of the year um, away uh, I am um, I've done teaching in, uh, in the States I've taught in Malta I've taught in Italy, um, a couple of countries around the world. So, uh, in the East Coast, uh, Zanzibar, um, I do like to to get out there and um, and travel as much as I can and and see the world. Yeah, yeah, lovely. You enjoy the travelling. Well, not so much now, of course, with with. It's been, but... yeah, it's, it's been really difficult. I think um, 2019, if I remember correctly, I spent 226 days away from home mm. um, overseas. Um, I think I went to nine different countries in 2019. Uh, 2020, there was all these big plans and, and a whole host of uh, trips and projects uh, and courses all over the world. But unfortunately... Yeah, that was all, all put to bed, uh, well, at least for now. Hopefully, hopefully things will turn. Hopefully we, we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It, um, mind you, that, you know, everything has changed. COVID has, has 
brought new attitudes to traveling and uh everything else we do sports the environment the whole the whole works it's it's been quite an interesting time really it has and you know um i was in fact talking to some some friends the other day and we were wondering how long um you know despite maybe covid will be will be uh something in the past and uh maybe it'll be thanks to vaccines or, or who knows how we'll get over it, but how long will some of the things that we've become so accustomed to now continue? Uh, and things like sanitizing uh, and face masks and, you know, without a doubt there's been a decline in the number of uh, just general basic flu and um, the common cold is, is virtually gone. Uh, and is that due to people not being in contact with each other or is it due to us sanitizing all the time? Uh, so that's going to be interesting. You know, there's some things that, that I think are going to stick around for a while. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, this is the first winter I can remember where I haven't had a bad cold. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah. 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 But Jay, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, Thanks for taking the time uh, and look forward to seeing your articles. If, uh, have we got a sort of time scale on that? Or is it just uh, when, I it, think, when it happens? Um, there's the, um, the launch of the um, African Diving uh, website. Yep. Um, so I think it may tie in with, with that, yeah. Fantastic. Lovely. Brilliant. Well, uh, good luck with the future and um, thanks again. Jeff, thanks very much for chatting to me. Um, I appreciate your time as well. Uh, cheers now. Bye for now. Ciao. Bye.